The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Hashtag CSS, the Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com. And don't forget, you could also download it for free. You could subscribe to it on iTunes. Chris Sheeran, Doug Williams. Thanks Hello. for having me as always, Chris. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Yeah. A lot going on this morning. Yeah. Mr. Sheeran is fired up. Um, I'm excited I, for this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you won't be saying that after we're done. Something happened in Major League Baseball recently uh, between Garrett Cole of the Pirates, Carlos Gomez of the Brewers. Uh, Gomez does his you know little skippity hop at the plate after he hits what he thought was a home run and shows up Cole – now, Cole's young, but apparently he's old school, which I like about the kid. Uh, the former Yankee draft pick, by the way. Wow, it would be nice to have him on the Yankee staff. We'll get to the Yankees in a second. I got to get all this fire out of my system first. But my bone to pick with this situation is MLB Network Radio. They have guys on there who I respect, who I listen to, who – well, I don't respect them as much anymore because of you know what they've said about this situation. They're upset because Cole didn't get suspended. Everyone else involved in the situation was suspended except Cole, quote, the guy who started it. Let's rewind for a second. Who started this? It wasn't Cole. Cole threw a pitch, and Gomez had to go into his histrionics, which he thought it was a home run. It wasn't a home run, by the way, Carlos. Hit the top of the wall. And maybe if you were running full speed out of the box, instead of posterizing yourself and showing up the pitcher, you could have had an inside-the-park home run instead of a triple. It's not Cole's fault. This is not on Cole. This is the jackassery of Carlos Gomez doing what he does best. And I have to hear from other people. Well, if you don't like it, get him out. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Now, let me put it. I want to get your thoughts on this. Let me put it a different way. Let's go to a different scenario. Cole gets the ball at third base. Doesn't say a word. Goes back to the mound. The next time Gomez comes to the plate, I'm not saying he hits him, but he buzzes the tower. A nonverbal message to say, don't do that again. Not with me on the mound. I'm not saying putting one in his ribs. And I don't, I don't put it out there at any time for anybody to get hit in the head. That's serious business, okay? You can come inside, but in, in a day when pitchers are slaves to hitters where they can't even pitch inside. And I'm telling you right now. If, he, if that scenario did happen, Doug, and he just came inside to say, uh-uh, not with me, you would have got the stare down from Gomez. You would have gotten all the histrionics like, you're going to throw inside? You can't throw inside. And then he would have got warned, and then both benches would have got warned. Yeah, there wouldn't have been a fight. But I'm behind Garrett Cole. I'm behind this kid. He showed some fire. He went up to Gomez. He didn't like what he did. And he said, not when I'm on the mound. Now, did, he, did a fight ensue because of that? Did guys stick up for other guys? Yes. Okay? You don't like to see that happen. I'm not saying I'm for the fight that happened. But I'm for Garrett Cole, where everybody on MLB Network Radio that I heard, the promos that they cut, 
just, you know, waxing poetic. Well, more players have to be like Carlos Gomez. More players have to show emotion like that. Don't get me wrong, Doug. It's fine to show emotion. I'm all for emotion. If that was a game-winning home run, yeah. Dance, I mean, break dance around the bases for all I care. But even in that situation, and I always go back to this guy, but Scott Rowland, every time he hit a home run, he put his head down. There was no bat flip. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Alfonso Soriano because he does the same thing. He flips the bat. He spits. I mean, you don't have to do that. David Ortiz. I'm surprised this. if this guy played in Don Drysdale's time, if this guy played in Bob Gibson's time, I'm telling you right now, David Ortiz would have some broken ribs. He would. These guys didn't tolerate it. And, you know, guys like Cole, there's other pitchers in the league too that don't want to be shown up. And, you know, as soon as Gomez hit it and did his little thing, you saw Cole on the mound shake his head. And God does it get under my skin when I have to hear somebody say, if you don't like it, get him out. No, just play the game the way it should be played. And don't show up, guys. You're a professional. Act like it. Well, all very interesting and good points, Chris. Uh, I, I, for the most part, totally agree with you. I'm on Cole's side. I will not go on Carlos Gomez's side. I a few times have toyed with the idea that it's good to have kind of that emotion in baseball, but this is different. Here's what I will say. I do believe that Garrett Cole should have been suspended as part of the fight, considering he caused the fight. That's fair. Right. That's so I fair. do believe he should have been suspended. And I also think that pitchers do hold the ultimate retribution. Instead of yelling at him, I think he should have hit him the next time up. I think old school baseball people will tell you that. Even people like Cole, who are old school and don't respect what Gomez did, will say, instead of yelling at him, hit him the next time he's up. Now, I think Cole would now, in the privacy of his own home, say, yeah, I probably should have just hit him. I shouldn't have yelled at him. Would have caused, when, you know, we would have stayed away from the fight. Travis Snyder wouldn't be suspended. Things like that. I think there's a way to deal with it, but I agree with you. I am sick of the bat flips. I'm sick of the fact that David Ortiz took the longest run around the bases after a home run in history. And God forbid you pitch inside to these guys. Just inside. 35 seconds it took him to get around the bases. I'm not even saying hit. I'm not condoning hitting people. But in some situations... I'm sorry. It needs to be done. You need a rib shot. You need one right in between the three and the four on the back of your jersey. One that just says, no doubt, you do that again, I'll hit you again. This guy, he gets so many passes, and everybody's afraid of him. No one does anything. No one even brushes him off the plate. I'm not saying hit him. Brush him back. Yeah, if I were a young pitcher and I wanted to make a statement, I would brush David Ortiz back because I don't care how many career home runs you have. I don't care how much how heralded you are in the city of Boston. It doesn't matter. You you never earn the right to run around the bases in 35 seconds after a home run. Buzz him back, hit him, I don't care, but messages need to be sent. If you don't like that, then you can brush him back. That is your prerogative. That's your right if, as a pitcher. So that's what I think. It, it's just, you know... It, it saddened me when I heard the the talk, the the discussions going on uh, about what happened. Now I completely agree with you, I do. And you know Cole should have been suspended, but all the vitriol and saying 
he started it. He didn't start it. If Gomez just played the game the way it should be played, I'm all like I said again, I'm all for emotion. I'm all for enthusiasm, except when you're showing the pitcher up. Get back into the dugout. Do a handshake in the dugout. There's nothing wrong with that. Once you're out of the eye view with, with 57,000 people, you know, there's a story that a former catcher once told me about a former pitcher who will both remain nameless. Um, but the, pit, the, the pitcher showed the catcher up. And the catcher went out to the pitcher and said, if you ever do that to me again in front of 57,000 people, I will punch you directly in the face. Guess what never happened again? <laughs> you know, different situation, but still, I mean, for the love of God, I, 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 it, it makes my skin crawl. Maybe it's because, you know, and, you know, people might give me a lot of uh, whatever. I, I still pitch, okay? I still play. And I know when you're on the mound and somebody does that to you, and especially if you're built where you wear your heart on your sleeve and you're sweating and pitching your guts out and your heart out and somebody does that to you, I'm telling you right now, in the heat of the moment, it's hard to just walk away. Oh, I totally agree. Roger Clemens would have yelled at him. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure of that. There are, certain guys, there are certain guys in baseball that are just in the zone. And when you show them up like that, they're not, they're not thinking about what they should do. They're not thinking about what's realistic. They're not thinking about what's right. Their emotions get the best of them. And I think that that's what happened to Garrett Cole. Yeah, and you know, I just I wanted to make sure we got that out first because I really needed to just get the anger and the frustration out. It was building up all morning, and I was glad I was able to do that. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, Doug, we'll, we'll keep it on the mound really quick. Tanaka has just been unbelievable. Now up to thirty-five strikeouts and just two walks, and it goes back to what we said in the last podcast and. These the Red Sox looked silly last night. I mean, with the exception of the back-to-back home runs where he missed location, and his problem is, you know, he's so around the plate with everything that if he does miss, that could happen. And we saw it in Toronto. You know, Melky touched them up on one of his first pitches. But the other thing, Jack Curry, our Jack Curry, made a great point on the air uh, in the pregame show right before we did the Nets pregame show. Uh, before Tanaka's start. And he said, you know, the Red Sox like to take a lot of pitches. Teams like the Orioles do the same thing. They work the count. You do that against Tanaka, you're going to be walking back to the bench. Because if you let him get ahead in the count, then he's still going to start. He has two uh, two splitters. He's going to throw one of those splitters, and you're going to be grabbing some bench. I mean, he's just been, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't think I ever documented it on the podcast, but I, I said it behind closed doors. Wasn't sure about the guy. You know, he never threw a ball in the majors. I know he went 24-0 in Japan. But I don't know. I just wasn't confident in this guy. And now, right now, he's the ace of this staff. He is. And this is what I want to ask you. And, and you could answer the question and you could talk about Tanaka all you want. But And I know it's silly. But our job sometimes in the media... <laughs> We love to do this. If the season ended today, uh, and I know it's early, but it's quite the conundrum for Joe Girardi. I mean, who would get the ball in game one? 
There is no question Tanaka would get the ball in game one. Are you sure about that? Well, though? I don't know does what would bring, happen. I don't know what does would he happen. Bring but if I was trying to win, experience? I don't know what would happen. That's a totally different question. What what I would do would be to put Masahiro Tanaka in. He has a thirty-five to two strikeout to walk ratio. And you know what he knows how to do is pitch with nobody on base. You know, he might not have thrown those pitches to Napoli and Ortiz last night if there were a guy on base, but he's just trying to throw strikes. There's only one run you can give up when there's nobody on base and the guy's in the in the batter's box. And he had a four-nothing lead at right. that point. So you throw strikes and, and you avoid the headaches of a pitching coach. A lot of guys have a four-run lead, nobody on base, and they walk guys. Right. That's how you give up two or three right. runs. Tanaka knows how to pitch. His stuff is nasty. The strikeout-to-walk ratio is, is incredible. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so if you're asking me, I would say game one, if you really think about the smart decision, it's Masahiro Tanaka. The other guys have been good. I think CeCe has been fairly oh, good yeah, this year. Yeah, he's been great. Kuroda's been good as always. But if you want to get a win so far – with a 3-0 and record, it looks like Masahiro Tanaka should be your guy. Yeah, what you're looking at with CC now, I think, you know, he, he's coming to the conclusion that he's got to keep the ball down. He's got to hit his spots. And uh, you've seen that in his past couple of outings. And a team like the Rays, who has given him headaches upon headaches, especially when he's matched up with David Price, he went out there down there and got one of the two wins that the Yankees were able to steal down in Tampa. So that was encouraging, seeing him not only beat the Rays, but beating David Price head-to-head. I think that's only his second win in 10 yeah, tries. Yeah, he's like one and six, I think. Yeah, going in, and now he's two right. and six. Um, but that was encouraging to see for Yankee fans. Kuroda, you know, Kuroda's Kuroda. I mean, that this guy, he's a machine. Six innings, two runs. Machine. Machine. Or three runs, and it's the definition of quality. You just call him... Quality Corota, pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much what you're going to get out of him. Now, losing Nova hurts. Uh, it does. It's your it, guy. It was my guy. And, you know, finally looking forward to an entire year where he puts the season together. And, you know, he's going to probably, you know, it came out he's going to need surgery. And that's going to end his year. And who knows when he's going to be back. Uh, but you have Vidal Nuno. He's going to be in there for now as the fifth starter. You don't know. Sometimes these things can go. Like, you know, he's got a – he makes two or three really decent starts and then maybe the fourth and fifth times he goes out there, he gets batted around a lot. And then you're looking at another option. So the Yankees could have a little bit of a problem there, but they're so deep. They could be so deep at that fifth starter, quote-unquote, spot. I mean, you could replace him with David Phelps. I know how – Important he is to the bullpen now, and I, I don't know about you, Doug, but I would not touch Adam Warren. No. I would not He's bring found him his, back his into niche. the mix. He has his niche out there in that bullpen where he could dial it up and get it up to 95 and and pretty much be lights out when he comes in. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. And, and David Phelps must be shaking his head, but, you know, the thing is, I said this to Jack Curry uh, when we were in Tampa. I said David Phelps is getting promoted to the bullpen. They're going to realize that he's too good and too valuable with such a thin bullpen not to use out there. And that's what's happening again. He's not losing this to Vidal Nuno. He's too good out there and too valuable in the sixth and seventh inning role that they need him. And and the bullpen oftentimes is looked at as a less important version of starting pitching. But that's really not the case, especially with guys like Phelps that, you know, kind of merge that, you know, bridge that gap in between Mm -hmm. closers and middle relievers. So. I, I think uh, Nuno's your guy for now. He's been great at every level. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. he had that one bad outing out of relief this year. But other than that, he's been really good. Uh, you know, 
Well, that game was out of hand, too. Nova gave up seven runs in that right. game, and then he came in and gave up seven runs. But uh, another guy we have to talk about um, is Jacoby Ellsbury. I mean, this guy, you know, people were questioning the deal that he got when he came in. And I know it's only it's early. I admit it. And you can't get too high or too low, as I always say. But uh, what he is doing, I mean, he... He was applauded by Red Sox fans in his first at bat. And then as the game went on, he just got booed louder and louder and louder. And something that Donnie Marshall told me is going to stick with me the rest of my life. Something he told his daughter, he said, they're not, they're not booing the last guy on the bench. They don't, they don't care about the last guy on the bench. If they're booing you, you're doing something right. And Jacoby Ellsbury, my goodness, Doug, is he doing something right? 0-2 pitch last night, first at bat. And you know, obviously the fan reached out. That right. that was the story. But he smashed that ball oh, off yeah. Lester. It was like a 94-mile-an-hour fastball, 0-2 count. And that's just got to feel unreal for that guy just to return about, there. And What about the at-bat in the fifth? I mean, that at-bat was yep. unbelievable. Clutch you know, at-bat. Because they were coming back a little bit, mm-hmm. coming back a little bit. The, they just got the two runs in As the, the Red Sox always in do. In the bottom of the fourth on the back-to-back jacks. And then in the top of the fifth, two outs, by the way. Two outs. Gets the count to 3-2. And then how many times did you see that exact same hit? I saw that highlight. And all I thought of... When it went out to short, I thought I was going to see Cheater <laughs> jumping yeah, up in yeah. here, going to get that ball. Because I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, he's he's on the Yankees. Because how many times have you seen that hit, that exact same hit out of Ellsbury? Well, that's the thing. We're so used to David Ortiz and Mike Napoli driving in runs. Well, we've seen much less of that this year because Ellsbury's not on base. Right. Nobody's and on, nobody's on the bags. You look at that lineup and you're like, well, it looks kind of the same. The middle of their order, they still have Pedroia, Napoli, and Ortiz. They really miss this guy. And the yeah. Yankees are so lucky to have him. Yeah, the table setter. I mean, he's just doing a tremendous job. And, you know, you listen to guy, a guy like John Flaherty, who was on our, our, uh, our coverage uh, in that first game in Boston. And, and he said, you know, I really didn't get that feeling – about him until I watched him when I did the games in Tampa. And he said, my eyes just got huge. This guy, and listen, you're walking on eggshells with everybody in this Yankee lineup because Ellsbury's been hurt. Gardner's been hurt. Jeter with the ankle. uh, Teixeira, you know, Brian Roberts. Just keep naming them. They'll keep popping up. You know, the only one and. I don't want to jinx him, but Ichiro. I mean, he's been the only – I just knocked on wood. It's, it's a form of wood. I don't know if it's quite wood. Maybe Formica. I don't know, but I knocked on something. He has just been the model of consistency throughout his career. But other than Ichiro, I mean, who could you look at around that Yankee infield and, and Sean Kelly? I, I really don't know his injury uh, history. <laughs> but, uh, you know, go around the outfield, Gardner – Ellsbury, Beltron, he's had his issues. I can't even about feel him. his knees, he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, for the love of God, you just hope that, you know, duct tape <laughs> and a little bit of good luck uh, comes with the Yankees this year. And after 13, I mean, you know, the injury bug gnawed on everybody in 13 in that Yankees clubhouse. So you would hope 
it has migrated <laughs> to yeah. another locker room someplace else. And the two things I'll say, agreed with Ichiro, and I, I tweeted after, I forget who it was, to share or hurt his quad. I was like, Ichiro must see these guys pull muscles and just be like, <laughs> if, <laughs> if only you just stretched 24-7, yeah, right. you wouldn't have these problems. Yeah. So uh, Ichiro's not going to pull a muscle anytime soon, I don't think. And also, have you <laughs> noticed that when people are healthy, this lineup, you don't miss Cano. They yeah. one through nine – Everyone is a tough out. You, you think we'll see Teixeira doing those Ichiro stretches? In, <laughs> I don't in, think so. In the, uh, on I, I, would like, I would like it to happen. Ichiro should just be a player and strength and conditioning slash yeah. stretching coach. Yeah, why not? Save some money. Yeah. <laughs> You're why already not? paying him to play. <laughs> um, last thing I want to get your thoughts on, Doug. Uh, the Nets and Raptors. Got to mention the Nets um, really quick before I get to the other team that actually stole the the Nets Thunder. That's part of the, the story, by the way. Yeah. The Nets aren't the headline for well, some reason. That's what I want to get to uh, because I want to see if you think there's a little chicanery going on there with the Knicks. You know, a little let's feed a soul or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get the Nets off the front and back pages of the newspapers, but. Uh, the Nets and Raptors series at this point, we're taping this on a Wednesday before game three on Friday in Brooklyn where the Nets went 28-13 and 13 this season and won 15 of the last 16 games there at home. The last one, I don't know if you really look at that one because their starters didn't really play. It was down the stretch and Jason Kidd was getting his guy some rest. But, uh, you know, Donnie Marshall and I did the pre- and post-game show after game two and before game two. And the thing we, you know, Sean Livingston said it before the game happened. He said, you know, DeRozan, we held him in game one, three for 13, 0 for 4 from downtown. He's going to come out like it's the old West, and he's going to come out shooting. He was top 10 scorer in the NBA during the season, and he drops 30, 17 in the fourth quarter. I mean, he and Kyle Lowry, by the way, we can't forget about him. He only scored 14 in game two. He had two at halftime, and they were both foul shots. He was dynamic running that offense in the second half. And the Raptors really showed what they can do against this Brooklyn Nets team. But here's the thing Nets fans could take and put in their cap and say, you know what? Despite the loss, here's the positivity. A, they took game one. They split. They got that road win. They got it out of the way game one. They could have won game two. Despite getting off to a 27% shooting percentage in the first quarter despite shooting horrendously to start the third quarter they won that quarter 27 19 but they shot horrendously and despite giving up 36 points in the fourth quarter which kevin garnett was none too pleased with in the post game show they only lost by five despite the horrendous shooting despite the bad defense down the stretch they lost by five in this game that's something the nets and you know they're gonna you know the veterans are gonna look at this game and be like we still could have beat these guys. I mean, they had a scratch, claw, and do everything they needed to do to get this win. Going to Brooklyn now, where they won 15-16, Brooklyn's going to be unbelievable at Barclays Center. They're handing out shirts. They're handing out rally towels. That crowd down the stretch was fantastic. During the season, some of the wins, I was at the Toronto win uh, towards the end of the season there, and in the locker room afterwards, the players, that was the first thing they wanted to talk about was how good the fans are. That's going to be needed here, game three, game four. And if I want to put – I'm going to put it out there. This is what I kind of told Eric Roldan, one of our producers here. I said they split in Toronto. 
and I think they sweep in Brooklyn. They'll lose game five up in Toronto and come back and win it in Brooklyn in six. I really think that's the way it's going to go. I I give Toronto a a, a ton of credit, as the Nets did last night. But all those factors, Doug, they only lost by five, and the game was two points with 16 seconds left, and Pierce misses the three. And, it, Doug, it was halfway down. If that shot goes... The, you know, the the epic playoff series of Paul Pierce, uh, and he had the great quote, you know, you can't find this at Walgreens or Costco. This is yeah. in my DNA. Uh, I wasn't going to say it after the game. I let Donnie Marshall say it. He said, uh, you could find that game at Walgreens. <laughs> but the Nets, the other factor, too, with everything else I just said, the fact that so many shots, and, and, and listen, they lose by five. And if I were to ballpark it, I'd say about five or six shots that they took were halfway down the cylinder and came out. Yeah, it's a, it's a game of inches, obviously. Paul Pierce hits that three. It's a probably, realistically, a 2 nothing series. They would have had the lead. And he doesn't miss a lot in the playoffs, as we know. And he's so clutch and so good. But that was a great look. If he had put that it down, it was a great look. That was the other look. thing. It's not like Toronto was all over them defensively. They no. were getting great looks last yeah. night. They just weren't going down. And the other thing that that fascinates me, all six games between these two teams heading into the fourth quarter, the deficit for either squad, plus or minus five points. It's funny because they're close. They're such, you know, competitive teams. And every time they play, they're so close, but they're so different. Yeah. They're so different. Yeah. Uh, Athletic, young. Night and day. And then you get your defensive guru, older guys. That's but basically. if you remember correctly, the Nets at the beginning of the season when they were in that awful 10-21 and 21 stretch, the young and athletic teams, they were the ones giving this team the problems. Right. Now they've been able to clamp down. Donnie Marshall brought it up in the postgame. I'm going to give him credit. We should have Donnie on this podcast. Yeah, we should. We, we reference uh, him enough. Yeah, the next next week, you know, we'll see where the Nets and Raptors series is, and hopefully we're previewing the next round, and we, we should bring Donnie on. I'm sure he'd be glad to do it. But he brought it up in the postgame show that uh, Jason Kidd came here, and what he wanted to do, especially by bringing in Garnett, I mean, he's Mr. Defense, you know, at the end of his career. Uh, and it's not – forget his numbers on, on – uh, in the box score at the end of the game. It's just what he brings to the table. Andre Karolinko, too, who didn't play game one, was phenomenal in game two. He had that one play where he dove on the ball, and Donnie said, you only see that in college. How many professionals do you see are sprawling to get a loose ball? But going back to my point, Jason Kidd wanted the defense to be the main part of this Nets team, and since January 1st, it has been, uh, but... They should be in the paper and being prominent in the paper. And I wake up this morning and there's a report that there's a little friction just six weeks. Has it even – I can't believe it's been six weeks since they brought in Phil Yeah, Jackson. that seems aggressive. It seems, yeah, it seems a little long to me. But uh, six weeks after bringing Phil Jackson in, he wants to fire people. And according to this uh, story by Frank Asola – Isola, sorry. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. He's tremendous. But um, there's a little friction between James Dolan and Phil Jackson already because Dolan doesn't want him firing the people he wants to fire. And there was also a little blurb in there about whoever the new coach is, 
they're going to be, quote unquote, encouraged to bring Herb Williams back. Now, if you're trying to change the culture of your team, if you're trying to be a winning basketball team, if you bring in a guy like Phil Jackson, who has how many titles? 11 as a coach and how many as a two as a player? Wouldn't you just leave him alone? Yes. But at the same time, you know, I got all worked up about this this morning when I read it. And then I sat back and I thought, and the cynic in me says, do you think they just fed this just to get some headlines? They're not in the playoffs. Do you think maybe there's an inkling of truth, maybe just a little bit to this? And most of it is just because they, they don't have any names in there about the firings that they're having issues with. There, there are no names. None were released. It's a very vague article. It was just the posing of friction between the two. And in New York, <laughs> six weeks after hiring Phil freaking Jackson, <laughs> if there's friction between him and Dolan already, sorry, Brooklyn Nets, that's a bigger story than you before game three against the Raptors. Doug, your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it just drives me insane because James Dolan really did well when he came out after they signed Phil Jackson. He did well in the interviews. He seemed like he came off he like did. a good guy, came off sympathetic. And now he he said I couldn't he probably said it ten times in the interview on the Michael K show. I don't know I don't really know basketball that well. I needed to hire the guy that knew everything about basketball. He said they met in Malibu and he just listened to Phil Jackson talk about the game and he learned from him. For James Dolan, if this is true, to make basketball decisions, he's a wild hypocrite for getting involved because he knows that Phil Jackson knows the game better than anybody else. He knows that he has 11 titles, both player, coach, whatever. And now he's going to say, yeah, don't fire this guy. He's been really important to our basketball team. Now, listen, if it's just an allegiance between Dolan and some guy in there, you know, I don't know if it's the front office, it's a guy that's worked for their team for a long time. I agree. Let Phil Jackson do his own work. James Dolan could say, hey, man, I really like what you've done for this organization, but it's totally up to Phil. I'm sorry. you got to go. someone put something in my head, too, that you know, the cynic in me just can't help but believe what they told me. And that is they're moles, and he doesn't want them gone because these are the guys that report to him. And Jackson – is probably saying, you know what? I want my people in here. I don't want any of his people in here. Right, because if anything goes because wrong. Because I don't want something I say that I don't want to get back to him, get back to him. And think about that. That makes a world of sense. I mean, if, if there's any truth to this. And you know what? I don't think Isola would put this in the paper. If he didn't think – if he didn't have like 110 percent in his gut that there was some validity to what he's putting in the paper. Because from following him on Twitter and how he poo-poos a lot of people, <laughs> I don't think he would put himself up in an article like that if there wasn't some truth to it. I wonder who these sources are because yeah. I saw his relationship with the Knicks has been well documented. It's not a good relationship. Who? What Knicks employee is giving this valuable inside information to a guy that the Knicks organization can't maybe stand? Maybe it's one of the people. That's maybe yeah, that's fired. what I was saying. Maybe <laughs> it's one of the guys that's, that's in the hot seat. 
Who else would give this information up? I can't believe it. It's shocking to me. Uh, but again, back page. No Nets, no Rangers, no Yankees. Uh, like sands, Like sands through the hourglass. And how about that? The Rangers win a game three in Philly to take a 2-1 lead. The Yankees beat the Red Sox handily behind Masahiro Tanaka, just making Red Sox hitters look silly, with the exception, as we said, of the two home runs. The Nets lose their game two in Toronto. What's on the front page of the Daily News? A rumor. <laughs> A rumor about the New York Knicks. Who should be making tea times. Oh, baby. You got to love it. I, I can't help it. If this was a video cast, you'd see, like, my cheeks are hurting because I'm smiling so big. It's just like, you can't make it up. You cannot make it up. And I joked with somebody last week. I knew game two between the Nets and Raptors was, was Tuesday. And everybody was like, oh, they'll probably fire Woodson on Monday. I said, no, they won't. <laughs> no, they won't. They'll fire Woodson at like 6 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. But they didn't. They did it on Monday. And, uh, I, you know, I, I liked Woody. I mean, and you look at – he won 54 games for this team last year. You know? And I, Shaq and, and Barkley – it's pretty much, you know, I, I don't think you could ever have a rundown for that show. <laughs> that's very, that's a good way to put because it. Because it gets, blo- the show gets blown. Like Ernie, I mean, he's got reins on. He's got to pull the reins all the time. They put the graphic up for, to, to preview the Memphis game that night <laughs> against the Thunder. And Charles and Shaq are still talking about uh, the Knicks and Woodson and, and how Woodson got fired. And Barkley loved them, loved him for this. And Shaq was taking the player side, but Shaq said, "You know, if the players lost the coach's ear, they just they, they won't play for that coach. It, it, it's just the way it is. It's the culture in the NBA." And Barkley just said, "Then the players, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, but the players need a smack. Players are stupid if that's the case." And he was taking Woodson's side. That's a sad state of affairs, Doug. If you've got a guy who the philosophy one year won 54 games and the next year because the players just they didn't like him anymore, eh, we're not going to play for him. Well, again, we're going to bring it back around. It's called a callback in comedy. You're a professional. Act like a professional. You might not get along with the coach. Play. You're getting paid to play. Just play the game. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The one thing about Woodson, though, it, it goes to show you that championships in sports are the only thing that will keep you around. A 54-win season is nice. How many coaches have the Knicks gone through? But it, yes, exactly. A 54-win season is nice, but it's not going to keep you around. It's like doing something one year at work. If you do it well, and it's only around for that one year, and you come back the second year, and you do a poor job, but you're like, hey, look what I did that first year. Yeah. That's only going to last for so long. You can't do that for an entire career. Uh, do I think that he could have done better? Yes. Do I think that sometimes NBA coaches especially get fired for almost no reason? I, yes. I mean, think about the guys that are on the hot seat now. Mark Jackson <laughs> is going to be fired. And we already know he's going to be fired yeah. if they don't win this series. Yeah. It's uh, uh, it's really it's strange the it, NBA it, coaching system. It is. It's a sad state of affairs, and you know you saw it here with the Brooklyn Nets too. Yep, I mean, Avery very Johnson true. It's a good gone, example. Uh, and you know, <laughs> uh, 
PJ Carlissimo goes out. He was he was out coached by Thibodeau in that first round series last year, though. I mean, I, I saw that happening, but you know, they they rallied around PJ. They 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 had a good second half, but uh, it is it, it's just a sad state of affairs. And also, you know, the Knicks on the front page of the Daily News. I mean, I get it. I, I do. I've been in around the city my entire life, growing up in New Jersey. But my God, you have three other teams that had. You know, two playoff games and a game at Fenway Park. I know it's early, but geez Louise, can, can we talk about Tanaka? <laughs> can we put Tanaka on the back page or front page? Anyway, that's going to wrap it up. I think we've we've covered it enough, Doug. Um, for Doug Williams, I'm Chris Sheeran. Uh, this has been the Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and also on iTunes. Don't forget, subscribe to it if you haven't already. We'll see you next time.